For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side. Thank you, Solody. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter, and Paul is fanatic underscore pick. Be sure to ping us, send us a message, anything you'd like to see on the show. You know the drill. So the Dolphins fall to 3-10 and 10 on the season. I'm still trying to get my voice back here. Um, losing 22-21 to 21 to the New York Jets in a very uncharacteristically record-breaking game where the Jets and Dolphins combined for 10 field goals. Seven by the Dolphins and Jason Sanders and three by Sam Ficken of the Jets. Actually, one kicker even missed a field goal each. Ficken missed an extra point. Jason Sanders missed a field goal. So, you know, if the Dolphins had won this game, Paul, and I know we talk about draft position, how much how much we care about it from week to week, the Dolphins are picking fourth right now. And had they beat the Jets, the Jets would have been actually picking ahead of the Dolphins heading into week 15. And the Miami Dolphins would have had the eighth pick in the draft, which is exactly where they were in 2012 when they took Ryan Tannehill. Not only would they have had the eighth pick in the draft, but they'd still have remaining games against the teams picking one and two in the draft. And I know I've said it before. I guess I'm overdue to say it again. This is one of those weird seasons where you can find positives uh, in the world as far as wins or losses for the Dolphins. Because, yes, we want better draft position because we know we're not going to the playoffs. But we want the team to be competitive out there on the field because we want to be able to attract those free agents. And I mean, with the number of mock drafts I've been doing, and I know it's way too early for anything real with that. If Miami's able to rebuild the majority of the offensive line and possibly grab a corner leading into the draft, it is absolutely beautiful what you can build with this team going via the draft next year with the picks that they have. So, I mean, it's, you want to be able to entice free agents to come there, show this heart that this CFL XFL roster is showing under Brian Flores. I mean, watch Brian Flores at the end of that game. Hell yeah. I want to play for that man. That man's going to go to the ends of the earth for his players. And it's very much a scenario where, 
win or lose, you could find reasons to be okay with it, which is weird to say. Well, no, it's I agree with you, and that that was kind of my feeling heading into this game. Is that you know after beating the Eagles and you're three and nine, it, it, had they beat the Jets in this game, and we both predicted that they would, and they're four and nine. Be looking at the next two games against the Giants and Bengals, who are picking first and second in the draft right now, and thinking that could be six and nine. And then the Patriots may rest the players on the final week. And, uh, you know, the people who are very specific to, I want the draft spot, that's all that matters because we're not in the playoffs, fair enough. But I would be looking at that saying, uh, okay, if you ran off the last five games of the year, it, it would have meant because so many players stepped up. And if so many players stepped up, that is tangible that you have going into 2020, where now you don't have to restock as much of your roster. And I think other teams would be coming out saying, yeah, you know what? Um, it looks like they're building something pretty cool there in Miami. So, yeah, that that's that, that was one thing. Uh, that's how I was looking at this situation going into this game. Um, my other part of it, too, was, look, if, if the Dolphins had won this game 40-6 to and destroyed the Jets and pounded them into the ground, which I was hope, really hoping for beforehand, I would have said, okay, that's really worth it. You sweep the Jets. You Stick it to Adam Gaze, and you look like a team that's got a lot of players breaking out. But when it was field goal to field goal to field goal to field goal, mistake versus mistake versus mistake versus mistake on both sides of the football, I was starting to think, I don't think I want to win this game 18 to 16 and cost ourselves four spots in the draft. Yeah, I could see where you would you get that feeling. I mean, it, it definitely was – there were four back-breaking things that happened in this game, let's face it. Devontae Parker going out with the concussion. Albert Wilson going out. The Demarius Thomas touchdown, to me, because you could see the ball moving as he crossed the goal line, because the ball came out and there really wasn't – and the ruling on the field was that it was an incompletion. To me, there wasn't enough conclusive evidence on a replay from any angle that should have enabled them to overturn it because you need that conclusive, definitive evidence to overturn the call on the field, and they didn't have it. And that pass interference review of a non-call on what would have been fourth down was absolutely backbreaking, and to me, it wasn't enough to warrant it. It's almost like the refs have overcorrected too far in the other direction at this point. And, and those are the four things that cost Miami this game, everything else aside. Uh, yeah, I, Devontae Parker going out early hurt. I mean, two catches for 28 yards. He only played 18 snaps and then left with a concussion. I'm glad it's not something worse, like a ACL tear that would have, you know, hurt Parker and the Dolphins in the next year. But going back to your your three points there, yeah, Albert Wilson went down and it took another receiver off the field. So Isaiah Ford gets in and actually has a career day for himself. The third and fourth, I, I got to tell you, I disagree with you because, well, I somewhat disagree with you. The, the On the Demarius Thomas touchdown, I thought overall they got the call that, that if I had to flip, if I had to pick one side, I thought it was a it was a touchdown. I thought I thought he had enough security over the ball for it to be a touchdown. I am a little surprised they overturned it, given that uh, how much conclusive evidence you need. The the other one though, the Nick Needham, uh, I I do think I got to say it was pass interference. And and if you take a look last week when they overturned the Devontae Parker 
um, pass interference where where it's supposed to be fourth down. Instead, the Dolphins have it first and goal at the one. I I thought it was a similar thing. Uh, Needham had his hand wrapped around his shoulder uh, before the ball got there, and it was the same thing last week um with with Jalen Mills against Devontae Parker. I, I like that they're that they're kicking up the gears a little bit more on the on these pass interference calls. See, my thing with that though too is so I'm gonna go back to the first one and I think you kind of made the same point I had, which was there wasn't enough conclusive evidence. So ultimately if the if the call on the field had been touchdown I don't think they had enough conclusive evidence to overturn it in either direction based on what the video replays show versus the call on the field. So for that one, it's again, if they had ruled it a touchdown initially, fine, but because they had not ruled it a touchdown and there wasn't that conclusive evidence for the Nick Needham one, it burns me a little bit because of the fact that a, it was a non-call on the field. It wasn't anything blatant and egregious, and it's not anything that if they were outside the two-minute warning, the Jets would have been able to challenge because the Jets were out of timeouts. So it just it left a very sour taste in my mouth because of the fact that there were so many points in the game that they could have done the same thing um, in both directions and didn't. So, I mean, to, to just pull that in a critical moment for something that really wasn't blatant it bothers me because ultimately that's something that if they start doing that for everyone that they're not sure about, that's a non-call on the field without challenge flags, you name it, it's going to slow the game down to a ridiculous level. And I'd rather they not be able to review it at all. Yeah. I I feel a little bad for Needham because he also had one reversed against the Browns a few weeks ago. So he's been the target of a lot of these here. Um, I, when it comes to Needham, I, I first point the finger at him because if Demarius, if he lets Demarius Thomas catch that pass right there, uh, it's not. It then uh, I believe it's not a first down, and it's fourth and something, and they're they're attempting about a 56-yard field goal. So if I, th- that second one, I have absolutely no problem at all with. I don't care if they slow the game down. I want them to get the call right. Uh, I, I mean, look, I. We spend all week on football. Uh, on on Sunday, I, I don't mind watching a three and a half hour game instead of a three hour game. That that that's completely okay with me. But I I do understand what your point is there, and a lot of people do have that opinion too. But I I I want them to get the call correctly. Um, now another thing about that play, Paul, is if that second Nick Needham pass interference isn't called uh, at the end of the game. It's a very different storyline that we're talking about here um, of what happened in the last couple of minutes because to go up 21 to 19, Patrick Laird catches a 21 yard pass beautifully along the sideline, looking like a wide receiver out there that that allows the Dolphins to go up uh, by two points with just a, a minute left. And uh, when the Jets are driving down the field, Andrew Van Ginkle. Who, who's, who got extended action, got 35 snaps in this game, gets the sack to make it third and 17 on that play. We could be talking about Laird and Van Ginkle as the two people that put this game away. Completely. I mean, it, I love seeing Van Ginkle in this game. I really am curious to see how, how this kid develops. I mean, because we've got to remember he's only a couple games into his NFL career. 
he was on IR most of the year. Um, I, I do view him as very much a Vince Beagle type, which there's a role for on this team. And yeah, I I think Patrick Laird has really cemented his claim on the third down running back position for next year. He's not somebody that you're probably going to trot out there very often on first and second down, except for in, in wrinkle situations. He's not going to be that guy that plows the ball between the tackles. He's not going to be the guy that runs sweeps very often. But you run a lot of draws, a lot of screen plays with him coming out of that backfield, and he can absolutely be lethal um, against opposing teams. So absolutely love that fact. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, and the, the term I'm using for some of these players, like Patrick Laird, like uh, you know, Keaton Sutherland, like you know, some more the uh, John Jenkins is uh, is rosterable. He's a rosterable player right now, and he's somebody that yeah could be. I mean, if in the off season, if you get you know a J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State or a Najee Harris from Alabama at the end of the second round, and you pair him with Patrick Laird and maybe throw another veteran in there. I think you, you're sitting pretty good at the running back position. So I'm just trying to plug some of these guys in on the depth chart for 2020 so that we're not having to spend as many resources in the draft and free agency to do that. So, Paul, let's let's take a look here at the game, the position by position. At quarterback, I will say this. With Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, they move the football and they keep drives going, and that's kudos to him not just with his arm, but with his legs, too. Uh, his stat line, 21 for 37, 245 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, but also 65 rushing yards. And each one of those 65 were very, very important, getting keeping drives moving throughout. On the other hand, he didn't miss a lot of throws. I mean, I thought Mike Gesicki was open quite a bit in this game, and he finishes with one catch for six yards. Uh, he he missed Gasicki all game, and I don't quite understand why. He did miss a lot of throws with receivers that I felt were open all day. Even though he had one pick, it very easily could have been three or four. When the Dolphins were down 16-6 to at the end of the first half, James Burgess, the former Dolphin, who actually had a hell of a game other than the penalties, had a pick six, and that would have made it a three-score game at the end of the first half. And now we might be talking about a Jets route there. So. You know, a, a lot of mistakes. It felt like a very Fitzpatricky game right here. So, yeah, I, I'd probably give him a little bit higher grade if the Dolphins ended up winning. Uh, he did keep the offense moving. But let's let's go with the C. I'm going to go with a B here for the fat man. It's, I mean, that Burgess interception. You know, Burgess did two things that canceled it out. Anyhow, on that play, he had the pass interference, and then he also dropped the ball. Um, if, if you look at it on replay. So, yeah, it still should have been an interception for him if he hadn't kind of catapulted him around the wide receiver on that one. But, again, Burgess did have a hell of a game. I know I was talking about him a lot throughout the game. Um, but, really, it, it was amazing watching Ryan Fitzpatrick run. It looks like he has no business running the football. He looks like a fat man robbing a donut factory and running for his life, even though you know the cops are going to catch him, and he's – gets away far more than he should be able to. Uh, but, yeah, seven carries, 65 yards, and, and a long of 20 in this one for Fitzpatrick running the ball. And he still put up almost 250 yards passing. He did miss a lot of receivers in this game. 
but he kept the emotion high for this team and ultimately led them down the field a, a great deal, even though he couldn't cap any of them off with a touchdown. So, yeah, a B-minus for him is nice and easy for me. Yeah, yeah in fact, I, I, I'm going to change mine to a C-plus because uh, I, cause I, you sold me a lot on that. They, he, he did keep drives going. Into it. Fat man running from the donut factory brought you up a, a great. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's what did it right there. Running back, Paul, um, it, what's amazing to me is that is I look at the stat line and, and just how bad the Dolphins have been at running back and running the football this year. They're actually on pace to be the worst uh, running team in NFL history uh, for the 16-game schedule. And this game, though, Patrick Laird, 15 carries for 48 yards. Man, oh, man, it just seemed like so much more because we're so used to seeing – seven carries for seven yards and, and and nine carries for 10 and 10 carries for five. So Patrick Laird ends up the game, 15 carries, 48 yards, four catches for 38. So, so a total of what, 86 yards. And uh, with, uh, with under two minutes left in the game, he, he catches that pass along the sideline. It should have been the game winning play really, but overall, you know, 3.2 yards a carry, I, I can't give him a considerably high grade. Um, nobody else really got onto the field that much. Gaskin had a few touches, not not much to note. Um, so overall, I'm going to go ahead and give a C plus here to the running back spot in Patrick Laird. Yeah, it is amazing how much 15 carries for 48 yards felt like, especially after everything we've been through this season. I mean, Christ. That's a good eight-game stretch for Kalen Balazs. But imagine how good it's going to feel next year when we have a real running back. No insult to Patrick Laird. He's going to be a great third down back. He's going to be a pesky pain in, in the side for a few folks. And he's he's definitely carved a role out on this team. But if you get like a Suba Hubbard running the ball next year with Patrick Laird coming in on third downs, it's going to look tremendously beautiful. I mean, Patrick Laird, 15 for 48, that's like half a season for Kalen Balazs right there. Uh, you know, that, that's a good eight games. And, and just to add to your seven carries for seven yards, half the time that was seven carries for seven yards with a long of nine for, for freaking uh, Kalen Balazs. So yep. more power to Patrick Laird. It's a whole different offense with him on the field than it was with Balazs. Yeah, it is. Cause you've got the underneath route. You got a better blocker. You've got sadly a better everything. And, and which is amazing given that, Laird isn't special at anything. He's just getting the job done underneath and, and taking the yards that are there. So also amazingly, Laird has already more total yards on the year than Kalen Blash did. Blash had, I believe, 198. Patrick Laird got over 200 in this game uh, for the season. Uh, I'm going to throw it back to you at receiver and at tight end. Well, the tight ends were, as you pointed out earlier, I mean – Gesicki got open, but he also had a few alligator arm plays in this game, uh, which which does drag things down a little bit. The fact that he couldn't get on the same page as Fitzpatrick was troubling. Uh, after freaking uh, Devontae Parker and, and uh, Wilson went down early, it was great to see my guy, Isaiah Ford, get his six catches for 92 yards. If he played a full game, he would have had his first 100-yard game. And then your guy, Alan Hearns, who sold me a little bit on that contract extension this week. I think he's probably one of the smaller possession receivers I've, I've seen before, but it really feels like he's a possession receiver for this team at this point. 
and there's a role for that. So outside of those two, not a lot to write home about. Durham Smythe had a tiny little catch, and then the rest of the catches went to the running backs. Uh, Mac Hollins did get on the field, did draw a few things here and there, but ultimately wasn't a big factor in this game. I can give the the wide receiver position. I'm going to give him. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to bump him to a B minus. I was going to go C plus. They just barely rock into the B minus range. Yeah, I'll give him that C plus. Um, Isaiah Ford, good for him. Had, I mean, just going back to Virginia Tech in his final year, I felt so bad for him, and also so happy the Dolphins drafted him because I thought it was a steal. You know, he this was. At the time, Virginia Tech's all-time leading receiver, and he was supposed to go really second, third round. He he didn't work out very well. He had he had injuries and didn't stick out in one particular area. But he was a good football player, so he almost went undrafted. And the Dolphins drafted him in the seventh round. He's been on and off the roster. Overall, just two catches for nine yards in his NFL career. He gets on the field and he makes the most of his opportunity. Uh, and now projecting to next year, I mean, if you've got Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, hopefully he's healthy, Jakeem Grant, hopefully he's healthy, uh, Alan Hearns and Isaiah Ford, I think when you look at the rest of this team, wide receiver may be a position that you that you can leave alone unless somebody of real value comes comes in. Yeah, Gesicki, like I said, um, I expected him to have a bigger game. I counted at least three touch, three times that he was one-on-one in the red zone, and Fitzpatrick just missed him. Um, he missed him all throughout the game. He had five targets, and I, I thought he very easily could have put, put had the ball put on him for all of them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a C-plus there. Offensive line, I, you know, typically we talk about how the interior of the line has the ability to be serviceable throughout the game, especially if they're continuing to keep the ball moving downfield and take some of the pressure off that line. This offense, interior offensive line in this game was just straight garbage. I mean, Daniel Kilgore got destroyed by nose tackle Steve McClendon all game. And Evan Bame is really breaking my heart here because I loved when they traded for him. Um, but, but, Two of the last four games, he's been just as bad as the others. And then at left guard, the real interesting development is Michael Dieter only plays nine snaps. Keaton Sutherland actually gets in there and arguably has the best day of any of the offensive linemen. Uh, At the tackle spots, Julian Davenport had his best game. Good for him. I'm not sold on him in the least, but uh, a very good game for him. And at right tackle, uh, Jesse Davis, I, I think, is starting to put some decent games together. I'm not saying he should be the Dolphins' right tackle next year, but when he's not facing a speed rusher, he's a pretty serviceable player. I think either way, Jesse Davis is going to be at one of those offensive line spots next year. But Michael Dieter, trending down right now. The good thing with him is I, I, I think when he adds strength in this offseason – you combine that with his intelligence and his ability to play all the spots along the offensive line, I think he's going to provide value, hopefully somewhere. And he's not another Dolphins third-round draft bust on the on the line. So, but the only reason that this line looked can look halfway decent throughout the game is because Fitzpatrick gets the ball out of his hands so quickly too. So, I can't give him any higher than a D. I'm going to go with a C for this offensive line in this game. They weren't great. 
but you saw him open up a little bit more in the run game. And the fact that Patrick Laird's on the field does help them out. Um, I agree with a lot of the things he said. I mean, I will give Daniel Kilgore credit. He had a beautiful tackle on Clive Wolford after, after Fitzpatrick lateraled him the ball. But, uh, no, in all seriousness, I mean, they kept Fitzpatrick fairly clean in this one. Jets only had two sacks and one really is only a sack and name only Fitzpatrick had already tucked and was running with the ball and they still got credit for a sack on the play. And, you know, I'm not going to crap all over the line for that. It was well outside the pocket and really, you know, they gave him plenty of time on that play. So, I mean, don't forget, this is a pretty damn good Jets defense overall, even though they're missing a few of their starters. And, and, it's it's a well-coached unit with Greg Williams. I hate to say that. I hate to say well-coached. You know, the team isn't well-coached as a whole, but that defensive unit is is definitely um, pretty well-coached. And, and, you know, they've got some good players on that defense. I mean, you look at what James Burgess did in this game. You look at what Neville Hewitt did in this game. Uh, Foley Fadakasi doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but he's a pretty big force in that middle. and and along the rest of the defensive line and Miami's Island of Misfit Toys offensive line did okay in this game. So I can, I can comfortably give them a C. Yeah. I, as far as their defense, their run defense is unbelievably good. They're allowing to opposing running backs less than three yards a carry this season, which is really unheard of. I mean, I've got the stats in front of me here at running back. Running backs against the Jets, 271 carries, 804 yards, 2.97 yards a carry. That is one of the lowest I've ever seen. <coughs> Excuse me. So on the defensive line, I agree with you that they're disciplined and it's a pretty good unit, very underrated unit. But in that back seven, they are decimated. And when you're talking about James Burgess and Neville Hewitt at inside linebacker that are taking the places of, of the C.J. Mosleys and the Avery Williamsons and – the Blake Cashmans that went down, that, that's something the Dolphins should exploit. And they did throughout this game at certain points. So um, the offensive line, though, what I can't get over is, is Steve McClendon and, and Quentin Williams flat-out destroying plays. And you know we don't see it a lot because Fitzpatrick gets out of there so quickly so many times. So uh, anyway, we all know the offensive line needs to be fixed. Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. You know, the the big story before this game was Taco Charlton was inactive. And, you know, we've been talking about him as kind of an overrated player. You have more been doing that more so than, than me. And Taco was argued to me coming off his best game of the year. But it was a coach's decision on here. It wasn't a disciplinary thing. It was a game plan thing, according to reports. And what that probably meant is that, the Dolphins knew it was going to be more of an inside-the-hash-marks, smash-mouth type game that lends itself more to defensive ends like Avery Moss and Charles Harris instead of the outside rushers like Taco Charlton. But overall on defense, um, uh, Sam Darnold goes 20 for 36, 270 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And at running back, Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell combined for 3.75 yards of carry, 28 for 105. So good job from the run defense. When I look at the front seven, Wilkins and Gotcha, usual solid self. 
Raekwon didn't have one of his better games. I thought Baker had a couple of, of big plays here. He had the face mask that extended one drive, but he also had a great stop on a fourth and inches where he blew up into the backfield. So good for him um, for that. Vince Beagle, again, as a pass rusher, he's not doing what he was earlier in the year, but I think he's becoming a more well-rounded player. And Andrew Van Ginkle, not quite as twitchy as Beagle, but same comes from Wisconsin as well. He he's more he's built more tall like a silo. He, he's a little bit stiff, but he's very opportunistic. And you're starting to see what. Patrick Graham and Brian Flores want to see in these outside linebackers in this defense here. So Van Ginkle had the only sack, a little bit more pressure than we're used to, but still not quite good enough. Um, you know, I, overall, when I look at this unit, front seven, uh, you know, I'm going to go with a B minus. I'm going with a B for these guys. I mean, yeah, Jerome Baker had that face mask penalty. Uh, I loved that play where he and Rake McMillan kind of tag team blowing it up in the backfield on fourth down. I mean, it, it just was utterly beautiful. And then you look at Davin Gotchow. He had another solid, solid game. He's not going to do anything most of the time that, that blows you away. But if you, he's performing a role for this defensive line, and it's absolutely perfect. The one guy that I'd really like to see uh, upgraded this this offseason is Sam McGuavin. Uh, I know we were talking about maybe he had a little bit of a breakout against the Eagles last week. Looks like he's back to his usual self again now. I just don't see enough out of the guy to warrant having him on the field here. And it, it's sad because, I mean, he looked like somebody that could really be special in the preseason. Uh, outside of that, Charles Harris, who I know we've been talking about developing over the last few weeks, seemed and felt like he took a little bit of a step back in this game and really wasn't a factor at a point where he should have been able to. But, again, I I can go with a B for these guys. And an interesting note, too, is Van Ginkle had 35 snaps, Aguavion I think had 33, and Charles Harris and Avery Moss both had in in the mid-20s. So it's interesting that Van Ginkle comes in and in – is immediately starting to show that, that he's worthy of more on that. But yeah, you, you, and it's not a surprise too that that especially you and I think both of us have, have more of an issue with Sam Aguaiva and, and Taco Charlton because they seem to be the most undisciplined undisciplined players in the front seven. So they're going to have those games where they get more sacks and more big plays, and we saw that with Aguaiva and the Eagles game. I mean, he had he had several very big plays, very game-changing plays there toward the end. But, yeah, as it projects to the long term, we know that Patrick Graham and Brian Flores like to have discipline on that front seven if it's going to be that Patriot-style defense. Uh, defensive back, Paul, I'm, gonna, I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you. No worries here. You know, I'm going to differ with what, a lot of news pundits out there were saying in this game, and I'm going to differ with what even the commentators were saying during this game. Commentators and and national pundits were saying, oh, the Jets receivers were running wide open all day and destroying the Dolphins' secondary. Now, that's true of Robbie Anderson in this game. I mean, Robbie had seven catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown. It was pretty big. But you look across the rest of the roster – 
after Robbie Anderson, the guy with the most receiving yards had 37. Most catches, three. So, you know, it, it's – and we already have that questionable Demarius Thomas touchdown that we've gone back and forth on. I don't feel like rehashing. You know, the tight ends did not kill Miami in this game. I know Ryan Griffin left real early in this one. But, again, this this is a team that has some weapons at the wide receiver position in Jamison Crowder. They have weapons out of the backfield in Ty Montgomery. They've got Demarius Thomas, who's a little bit of a shadow of himself, and Bilal Powell can catch balls out of the backfield. So, really, the fact that other than Robbie Anderson, they were able to limit them, and it was truly a bend-but-don't-break defense here. You also look at the fact that if it wasn't for – I believe it was Ken Webster missing completely on that last drive the Jets had. You know, that that's another 40 yards for Robbie Anderson right there and and you you've got him you're looking at six catches for maybe 80 yards which isn't hugely destructive uh when you look at the ability there. This this defense continues to play above and beyond uh in the secondary given the fact that I think the only starter from the beginning of the year is Eric Rowe, and he's playing a completely different position now. So, and half the guys in the secondary weren't even on this roster uh, a month ago. So, really, I can give the secondary a, a B here as well. Yeah, Sam Darnold went 20 for 36. So, he completed just 55.5% of his passes. I do think he left a lot on the field, specifically on on three plays where, I mean, Robbie Anderson had seven for 116 and a touchdown very easily uh, could have been more. There were at least three longer plays left on the field too. So that, that's, there's that, but yeah, I mean, even if you put in those three, it's, it's not a terrible day for the Dolphins defensive backs. And, and after, in, in the second half, I mean, the Jets only scored what six points. So they, they certainly tightened up too. You know, I, the way I saw, I saw a little bit of separation here in, in the players we need to step up. I thought Nick Needham, even though he allowed two touchdowns, he comes back and he continues to fight. And he's also somebody that is covering the opposing number one receiver usually. I mean, that Demarius Thomas touchdown, yeah, I, I do agree with you that could have gone either way. And he was right there with the guy. And then on the other one, Robbie Anderson's first touchdown, it's hard to tell him that if it's Nick Needham or if it was Ryan Lewis who really gave him a clean break off the line of scrimmage. I put that more on Lewis. So you got Needham there. And then Stephen Parker and Adrian Colbert, I thought, played phenomenal at free safety. And Stephen Parker, for for a defense that hasn't had that many big plays, gets another great interception here. He had one against the Colts, too. That was fantastic. Adrian Colbert has dropped a few interceptions, but – um, I thought he was in good position all game. He'll be interesting to look at here for the future. Ken Webster, unfortunately, is not passing the test over the last two games, which is somebody I've really been uh, hopeful for. But, you know, on that drive that put the Jets up by two scores, uh, Robbie Anderson smoked Webster twice. One time uh, the ball was overthrown by Darnold, but that could have been a 60-yard touchdown for him too. So, um, you're starting to see some separation between these guys. But, you know, like we said before, I, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Jamal Wiltz and Nick Needham and hopefully a few other guys down the road here 
be that those fifth, sixth, seventh defensive backs next year. And that's not an insult to them because they're going to be on the field 30, 50% of the snaps, even if they're the sixth or the seventh guy. So as far as the grades concerned, because I did think Darnold should have thrown for more, I'm going to give him a C plus. And Paul, I'm going to throw it back to you there for special teams. Yeah, the Colonel should have been perfect in this game. It's not for a botched hold. By, by Matt Hawk, it, we'd be talking about the Colonel basically winning this game for the Dolphins, and it would have made meant the Jets had to go for a touchdown at the end there. Uh, but unfortunately, no, we're not talking about that. I mean, it, it's I thought the coverage units were good in this game. I really didn't have an issue with Matt Hawk punting the ball. The only knock I have was that botched hold, and, and it is what it is. I can give I can give the special teams unit here an A minus. I'm right there with you on the A minus. I mean, yeah, he did miss a field goal, but he hit seven of them. I mean, and and a few of them were from from yeah, he had some shorter ones, but he also had a 53 yarder and and a couple in the 40s too. And in New York, it was 40 degrees out, and the wind was blowing. So that's. It's, it's not easy to hit those. And, yeah, the rest of special teams unit, not much to to, to report on. I mean, Marcus Shales dropped a punt but picked it up and ran it uh, about 15 yards, so he made up for that. Matt Hawk had one punt for 45 yards. And an interesting stat, if you go back to uh, eight minutes left in the first quarter of the Eagles game, Matt Hawk has punted the ball two times. So in 113 minutes of football – the Dolphins have punted twice. That's that's telling you that they're staying on the field on offense, moving the ball and scoring points. Too bad a few more of these were not uh, were not touchdowns. But yeah, overall, Jason Sanders. We could be looking at uh, special teams player of the week in the AFC for a third time. Uh, Paul, who is your player of the game and your Coke Bus player of the game? Player of the game. I, God, I wanted to give it to Isaiah Ford. I really did. But like you just pointed out with the Colonel, I mean, he kicked seven field goals in this game when the offense stalled. And and really, that could have been eight. And it was such a difference maker for this team. I mean, he was so reliable, and I won't put the one he missed fully on him because of the Bosch hold. So I'll give it to the Colonel in this game as far as player of the game. As far as my Coke bus player of the game, I think you said enough about Ken Webster in in this one. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was him that missed on that last drive and, and really let Robbie Anderson run free. He got eaten up by Anderson in this game. I know a lot of folks did, but he did. It felt like a little more than others and really just wasn't the factor either of us expect him to be. Hopefully he can develop. Otherwise, he's probably going to end up replacing this offseason. Yeah, for my player of the game, I'll take a little bit of a different route, and I'm going to go with uh, free safety Stephen Parker. You know, he had that interception, and when he was on the field for the rest of the game, I'm disappointed he was only on the field for 25 snaps, but Adrian Colbert played every snap, believe it or not, at free safety. But this is a player that is I'm really looking at for the rest of the year that, hey, you could be a solid depth guy moving forward and Colbert could be too. So I, at defensive back, you got a lot of balls in the air there. 
Um, but he's somebody that if we're saying at the end of the offseason, you know what, Colbert, uh, Eric Rowe, and, and Stephen Parker played really well at safety, that, that could be another position. You say, you know what, we're, we're going to spend our money elsewhere, or, or we're just going to draft a player in the mid-rounds instead of making this a huge priority. So kudos to him um, for that one there. As far as my, my Coke bus player of the game, I, I've got to give it to Dan Kilgore. I mean, just destroyed by Stephen McClendon all game. And, and it really could have could have caused a lot of problems if Fitzpatrick wasn't so good at, at getting out the po- outside the pocket and, uh, you know, Patrick Laird didn't bust a couple of bigger plays. So there you have it on there. The Dolphins are 3-10. and 10. They play. They go back to New York next week to play the New York Giants, and then they play the Bengals and a Patriots team who may or may not be resting its players. So we'll see what happens the rest of the year, Paul. We will be right here on the Finn side. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Brian Kent NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. Thank you for your uh, patience with my voice here today uh, as I continue to get better. And Paul continues to get better, too. It's been a rough week for us with the health. Um, And if it's not on the right side and it is not on the left side, it is on the thin side. So, D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the thin side. side. It ain't the left Left side side. or the right Right side. side. And it must be the thin side. Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.